If you'll be turning uh, in that same Trinity hymnal to page 870, you'll see we have the catechism section at the back. And on page 870 is question 13. So we'll be finding question number 13. And then our main scripture passage tonight, though we'll look elsewhere, will be Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Okay, those sheets are making their way around. As those are making their way around, if you have question 13 in front of you, uh, we've been working through the Shorter Catechism, and we like to just start by reading it together, whether it's your first time reading it or you've read it many times, uh, just as a way to get it before us. So let me read the question, 13, and then join with me for the answer. Did our first parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? Our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. And let me read our key scripture passage to have in front of us. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5 say this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you for such helpful tools as this catechism. Uh, We thank you all the more for your unchanging, infallible word uh, that would teach us. Uh, We thank you for uh, the amazing truth that we've been redeemed in Christ if we put our faith in him. I pray that as we study uh, this question, uh, that uh, you would help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to belong to Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we come to question 13, and uh, as you can see on the board, we're going to be talking about something called the fourfold state um, of man and woman. So uh, before we get there, uh, let me uh, picture a thousand years from now, uh, somebody digs up an iPhone a thousand years from now. They dig it up, and obviously it doesn't work, and so they, they're kind of looking at it. It has broken glass. It's fairly heavy. Um, they're trying to figure out what was this, you know, device. Um, they might come up with things like maybe it was a paperweight. Um, maybe it was a weapon of some kind. Uh, you know, the broken glass seems pretty dangerous. Uh, but, it, you know, if they were able to power it up, they would finally be able to get a sense of uh, what actually was this device? What, what's its nature? What does it do? What was it for? As we think about human beings, um, it's really important that we understand what the Bible teaches about who we are, what, how we were made, uh, what it means that we fell, uh, all of these things. And that's what this fourfold state starts to get at um, by way of introduction. Uh, early in the church, Augustine uh, was an early author who talked about at least three of these, if not four, depending on, you know, people could argue. Um, a Scottish theologian, Thomas Boston, has a book uh, called uh, Man and His Fourfold State. Uh, And there's been many other theologians that have used this. And as I hope to show you, the catechism itself actually uses this framework. Um, And I just want to argue that it's it's a really helpful framework. You know, any framework, you could push it too far or uh, you don't want to go beyond Scripture. But I find this extremely helpful for answering questions like, do human beings have free will? Right? Is that a debated question (laughs) ever? (laughs) I, I think this framework helps us to say, well, what do you mean by free will? And... Do you mean when we were created, or do you mean when we fell, or do you mean when Christ redeemed us, or do you mean, you know, in our glorified state? 
Um, or the question, are we basically good or evil, right? If you walked around Medford right now and asked people, are we good or evil, basically good or evil, uh, people would offer different answers. But this framework helps us think about answering it biblically. And so let's look at each of these. Um, but, and, and again, just to go to the, the catechism question, uh, it's really getting into that, uh, that phrase. It says, our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. So it sort of jumps right into the action and assumes they were in some sort of state, and then they fell from it, right? And so we're going to call that first state, the, the, it, it, people call it many things, but uh, created man. Um, Adam and Eve, in one sense, were the, were the only human beings to experience this because they fell, and, and we fell in them, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, but we start to use these uh, these helpful frameworks here, and we'll fill in the board together. Um, created man is able to do a couple things. Created man is able to sin. And then can you guess what then they're able also to do? To not sin. Able to not sin, right? Is that good English? Um, right. Um, able to sin, yeah, and actually that is better. Able not to sin is the better English. Okay, and this is the created state. Um, able to sin, able not to sin. There's fancy Latin, which we, which we won't dive into. This is also called the state of innocency or the pre-fall man. Uh, and, and again, if we go to the scriptures, you know, Genesis chapter 2, if you hear, hear this, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. I mean, what's assumed there, except that God has created man, he puts before him a commandment, uh, don't eat of this tree. Uh, the assumption is that created man is then able to obey God or able not to obey God, right? Um, and it, we, of course we think about that. Uh, kids, when your parents... Uh, forbid you to do one thing in the house. Uh, that's the very thing that maybe comes into your mind. <laughs> um, you know, if they say, you know, I just made, you know, 50 cookies, but you can't have any while I'm gone. And then the cookie jar gets a voice of its own and starts calling to you, right? Um, or you think of like the, the marshmallow test. Are you familiar with this? Where uh, kids are asked, you know, do you want one marshmallow now? Or if you wait, you can have, I, I forget how many, multiple marshmallows, right? And some kids are like, give me the marshmallow right now. And some kids wait uh, for the other one. Uh, in a small way, we know what it's like to have that ability to, to choose or not choose. But um, what we're not talking about is that Adam and Eve were somehow neutral, uh, that Adam and Eve were just sort of placed there and God just sort of like got out of the way and was like, I wonder what's going to happen, right? Um, they were holy. I mean, they, they were inclined toward God. They loved God. So we're not talking about neutral. We're not talking about they had, you know, one voice on this shoulder and one voice on that shoulder, and they're just like leaning back and forward between the two. They were created holy, innocent, righteous. Uh, they have what we call original righteousness. Uh, they're uh, their chief end, to use catechism language, was to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And yet, uh, they were mutable, changeable, so that when temptation did come, as we've seen in previous weeks, uh, they did succumb to the temptation. Uh, they forgot that their chief end was to glorify God, and they started to think that their chief end was to glorify themselves and to do what they wanted to do. 
And we'll talk more in the weeks to come. We'll spend a lot of time on what does it mean that they fell from this estate. But if, if this is the first state created, innocent, righteous, they sin, so something happens, and that brings us to this fallen state, like a, like a broken mirror that it still reflects, right? You, you can look at a human being and still see the image of God in them, and yet it's marred. Now, fallen man is not able not to sin. That's a dramatic difference, right? Adam and Eve, able to sin, able not to sin. Don't eat of this tree. Now, fallen man, before Christ, fallen man, all of us in Adam, not able not to sin. That's a harder sell. That's a harder one to convince people of biblically, right? So let's look uh, briefly. Um, Ephesians um, uh, Ephesians 2 again, right at the beginning, says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, in whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul is pretty clear there. All of us experience this, and we were dead in our trespasses, right? A dead person can't make themselves alive. They need resuscitated. Uh, Psalm 51.1, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Or Luke 6.45, uh, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. What's Jesus saying there? In our fallen state, by nature, we're children of wrath. And so when we say things or do things, it it bubbles up out of our heart, which is fallen, which is not for Christ, which is not living for him as our chief end. In other words, we're, we're not sinners because we sin, although that's also true. If you sin, you're a sinner. Uh, but we sin because we are sinners. Uh, so it's flowing out of a, a very nature uh, it's like a it, it, it's like a faucet that is just spewing out muddy water, right? Uh, you have to go back to the source, right? You have to go back to the source and clean out the faucet before you're ever going to get clear water. And so this is the fallen estate that man is in. Question 17 of the Catechism. I want to show you how the, the Catechism itself starts to use these. It says, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. And then the next two questions say, you know, what is the estate of sin? What is the estate of misery? We'll be there in just a few weeks, Lord willing. Uh, But the catechism is using this language. We were created man. We had fallen into sin. By the way, what about Jesus here? So Jesus is a human being like us. Jesus isn't Adam and Eve. So does that mean Jesus experienced this? Test, good. Head, head, head shakes, good head shakes. Uh, Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, right? Um, the catechism will very helpfully say uh, all men by ordinary generation uh, have experienced this fallen estate. That's just a, a, a nice way of differentiating the fact that Christ himself was not ordinarily generated. He was ordinary in the sense he's fully human, um, but of the Holy Spirit, right? 
And so Jesus never experienced this fallen state, which is pretty incredible to think about, which is why he is able to redeem us, which takes us to the third state of human beings. Now, uh, when someone comes, when Christ, when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, um, and, and we come into this state of being redeemed, let me read the catechism question 20. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? Did he leave us all here? The catechism says, God, having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of an estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a redeemer. So this could also be called a state of salvation, state of grace, many, many different words. We're trying to summarize biblical teaching. And that's that key passage we had from Ephesians 2. We were dead in our sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he forgives us, redeems us, takes us out of this estate and into this estate. Now, uh, redeemed man now, which if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, he's your savior. That means that you're here on the chart. You never thought you'd be on a chart. But this is a good place to be on the chart. Because now, once I, now we are able not to sin. Which is a glorious thing, Right? Just as we said, what a dramatic difference from here to here. What a dramatic difference from here to here. Able not to sin. We were fallen by nature. Uh, we, we were lo- looking this morning at, at, in adult Sunday school at John chapter 3 that we couldn't even see the kingdom of God, much less enter it in our fallen estate. Christ comes and redeems us, changes us, gives us a new heart. And now <clears throat> our chief end once again is to glorify God and enjoy him forever because the Spirit is working in us. Now we are able not to sin in a way that someone that doesn't know Christ doesn't even know what that ability feels like to not sin. It's as if that, <clears throat> that muddy faucet has been cleaned out from the inside out and is now producing water, a living water, uh, overflowing from the heart. So, um, however, do we still sin sometimes? And here's somewhat the mystery. Also, we're going to get to this estate one day, praise the Lord. Um, And and, and you might have guessed how we'll fill that in. Uh, But perhaps to use the faucet analogy, there's still some leftover residue rust there. The faucet is fundamentally clean. Um, But there is some leftover, what we call our flesh. Uh, We battle against our flesh. We battle against the devil. Do you know the third we tend to say? Uh, against the world and, and its systems and powers uh, still in the throes of the evil one, right? Uh, so, so the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, these are things that we have to uh, battle with. Now, remember I said earlier, where does Christ fall here? Christ, in one sense, had to battle against the world, right? And win, <laughs> by the way. And he doesn't battle in the way that he's tempted to, you know, like, maybe I'll go with the world, maybe. No, no, no. Like, definitively take a stand against the world. And then think of his temptations against the devil, right? There was never a second when Jesus was like, well, maybe, like, that's pretty good. No, uh, as, as Satan tried to twist words, just like with Adam and Eve, he went straight back to Scripture and said, no, 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 <laughs> that's not what it's about. Uh, but Jesus did not have to battle with 
sinful flesh the way we do. So he redeems us, and yet we're still battling here our flesh. Um, And it can be very frustrating in this world as we're awaiting the time when Christ would come back. Uh, It's kind of like in World War II, you know, the... There was a point in which the war was over, and yet there were islands in the Pacific that were still battling to the last man, right? So you had this interesting—there's stories of even, you know, Americans that, are, that were uh, captured and trying to escape and, and, and trying to say, no, the war's over. It's, that's it. <laughs> but people were still fighting down to the last man. And in one sense, our flesh does that. Um, and in one sense, Satan continues to try to tempt us, even though he, he knows that we belong to Christ. The war is over. These little skirmishes and battles continue, uh, but the Holy Spirit has victory, praise the Lord. And praise the Lord that we don't, that this, in some sense, is a temporary state because in our glorified state, and this is the best part, right? We will be what? Unable to sin. Can you imagine that? Just unable. It's not even a thought, it's not even a temptation. We are just with Christ. Uh, The Catechism uh, 37 um, puts it this way. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves until the resurrection. So we're talking here when, when a believer dies, Christ hasn't come back yet. Someday we'll talk more about this, what's called the intermediate state. Uh, where we're waiting the day when he will come back um, and, and bring all believers to himself and establish the new heavens and the new earth. But even in this intermediary state, we are made perfect in holiness, and we immediately pass into glory. A sin is no more for us um, experientially. And then when the new heavens and the new earth uh, comes, as we see in the book of Revelation, he'll wipe away every tear, from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so believers will indeed be uh, glorified. You know, in the language of Romans 8, uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs and follow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8 goes on to say that creation itself is waiting for the day when believers are glorified uh, with Christ and made perfect in holiness with him. And this is an amazing thing and an amazing hope uh, that we have as we struggle hard with sin sometimes and we bring that to the Spirit and we long for the day when sin will be done away with once and uh, for all. Uh, But before we before we we will end still on a note of good news we do have to say though for those that would reject Christ in this life so they're here they never experience this which means they don't experience this but they they would still be here on the chart in the sense that believers and unbelievers live on forever right we have immortal souls And so, whereas believers are glorified with Christ, those who would reject Christ will one day uh, forever be condemned. Uh, And this is heavy. Uh, Talk about another controversial subject, the idea of eternal punishment in hell. And so, as as we look at that, 
uh, as we pray for our neighbors, it, 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 this framework, I think, helps us say, I, I mean, I have family members that, again, I don't have infallible goggles, but I believe they're here, and I pray that Christ would redeem them so that one day, together, we would be unable to sin in his presence. And so we pray for those uh, who have blinders up like we used to have. Again, we were all dead in our sins, and he opened our eyes. And so this is one way of uh, summarizing who we are as human beings, depending on uh, the angle that we look at. Also summarizing the gospel itself. Uh, created holy, we fell. And Christ, the sinless one, came, redeemed us, and will one day bring us to himself. As you can see, the mirror you know, perfectly restored uh, so that uh, the image of God in us uh, will be radiant uh, once again fully. And so... And so this is uh, meant to be a helpful framework. In the, in the next few weeks, um, we will unpack in some ways each of these, especially uh, number two in the next few weeks. And so I do hope uh, that you uh, uh, join us uh, in that as we continue. Uh, but as we think about then um, our estate, uh, let's, let's go to prayer uh, and pray for us and, and even pray for our valley here for those who need Christ. Uh, God, we thank you for your word, uh, that it reminds us that uh, we too were once dead in our sins, unable to resuscitate ourselves. Uh, But praise the Lord, uh, you opened our eyes, uh, you gave us new hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray for everyone here, if if there are any here uh, who haven't uh, consciously put their faith in you, I pray, Lord, that you'd be working in their heart, uh, that they would uh, uh, tangibly know the work of the Spirit, that they would see the kingdom and love the kingdom, see Christ and love Christ. Uh, We pray for those in this neighborhood right around this church, uh, Lord, that they might get connected here or to another good uh, gospel-preaching church. Uh, We pray that they would come to know you if they don't know you. Uh, We pray for our loved ones and family members uh, that uh, don't seem to know Christ. Lord, would you help us to uh, weep for them and plead for them? Uh, Would you put them on our heart even this week uh, to pray for? And Lord, would you... Give us surprising stories of of you opening uh, the eyes of neighbors and loved ones uh, so that we could call them brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.